Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's called the Ancient Rabbinical Morning Prayer. But perhaps you know it better, if you are familiar with it at all, by its controversial content. The prayer goes like this, in its fully evolved version. Blessed are you, the rabbis would begin. O God, King of the universe, for you have not made me a goy, that is, a Gentile, nor a slave, nor a woman. Amen. Now, I think you know what I mean by controversial, right? Could you imagine that prayer ever originating out of today's cultural milieu in 2023? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, At least not coming out of Western culture. That's not going to happen. And yet, there are nevertheless some places today, mainly in the global East, where some people uh, would not even bat an eye at a prayer like that. Indeed, even in some places in the U.S. today, where the private and public recitation of this morning prayer is still practiced, some folks won't even raise an eyebrow at it. Now, why is that? Well, for me, I guess people are just accustomed to it. It's tradition. And then there, of course, are the prayer's defenders, the apologists for this rabbinical morning prayer, who say, now, when it's properly understood, this is a perfectly fine prayer. Well, I'm not going to get into the points for or the points against this prayer's legitimacy and continued use. I might just add this, though. I don't envy those whose self-appointed task is to defend that prayer. No, I'm very thankful that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us the perfect prayer, the Lord's Prayer, to which we will happily commit ourselves to its continued use. 2,000 years and still going strong. Only one pope took a swipe at it, as far as I know. But be careful. We need to always watch out for the leaven of pride to which we are all susceptible. It's not too difficult at all for our own ego to sufficiently inflate to where we start thinking or saying something like, our prayers are better than your prayers, and therefore that somehow makes us better than you. I'm sure I don't need to remind you that the Our Father prayer that we recite together has a built-in check and balance system for such thoughts. Remember that? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yes, the so-called Lord's Prayer is really not his prayer, that is the Lord Jesus' prayer. Uh, It's our Lord's Prayer because Jesus being sinless and therefore not ever needing to ask forgiveness, is he would not be praying that prayer. But the Lord's Prayer, the perfect prayer, is for us imperfect sinners to recite and by it to confess our trespasses in order to receive the forgiveness like we did in the confession absolution. This is the forgiveness that Jesus has won for us by his own blood. Then, we can pass that forgiveness on to still others, like we prayed in our collect this morning. And we can do this with the proper humility. A comparative pride or a snootiness is one of the ways we trespass against God. And that brings us back full circle then to asking for forgiveness again, which the Lord's Prayer has built in.
Okay, so what does revisiting these ancient, uh, ancient prayers have to do with today's gospel lesson? Well, you want to talk about a controversial passage. I'd say we Christians can't so easily point a critical finger at the prayer of others when we have our own controversial gospel accounts to contend with, like this morning's. Today's challenging gospel lesson, where Jesus calls a distraught mother a dog. This mom who is just seeking relief for her daughter's demonic torment. That could, and in fact does, qualify as its own entry in one of those books with titles like Bible Difficulties and Discrepancies. You'll find it in the Christian bookstore section labeled Hard to Understand Passages. What seems so hard for us to wrap our minds around, as I'm sure you will also observe, is, well, practically the same things that set us off from hearing that rabbinical morning prayer. But here, shockingly, it looks like it's Jesus who is ignoring this woman. What happened to gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Now it sounds like Jesus is even racially discriminating against this Gentile woman, calling her rude things. I mean, if there ever were a place in Scripture where someone today wanted to feel justified in accusing Jesus of being misogynistic or racist, among other crowd favorites these days, well, here would be that opportunity. But is Jesus actually being those things, racist, misogynistic? Let's get into it. We're in the second part of Matthew 15. Contextually, Jesus was just getting into it himself, once again, with his adversaries, the scribes and the Pharisees, and that's the first part of Matthew 15. The standoff there revolved around what makes someone clean or unclean. At issue specifically, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, was ceremonial washing, and how in their eyes, Jesus' disciples failed to properly comply. Jesus answers them in a not-so-meek-and-mild way to the Pharisees and scribes. He says, you hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile him, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles him. Jesus continues, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and the like. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Well, if Jesus was right, and he always is, then we got serious heart trouble on our hands, don't we? Our hearts are all gunked up and spewing out poison that will end in sure death. We desperately need help from the outside, and we need a new, clean heart transplant that, of course, we cannot perform ourselves. 
And even if we try, where are we going to get a sinless heart? But for those who are righteous in their own eyes, they're never going to admit their deepest down dark need for this new heart. Enter the next scene in Matthew chapter 15b. The Canaanite woman. Now pay attention now to how Matthew, in ingenious fashion, juxtaposes these two parties. One, the self-righteous teachers of the law from Jerusalem. Now these were the bigwigs, because they come from Jerusalem, and they live in the shadow of the temple. And two, the second party, by contrast, is the Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed daughter. Now when I say, by contrast, There could not have been a bigger contrast between these two parties. Next to these professional law keepers from Jerusalem comes this woman now out of left field. And I mean left field, way out there. Verse 21 of our gospel lesson starts out, Leaving that place, which was Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are basically left field for Jesus and his disciples. For you see, Jesus of late has been having a very difficult time getting away from all the crowds. You can understand why. The Galilean masses have been relentlessly pursuing, crowding Jesus because he was loving on them so much, healing them, teaching them, feeding them like a good shepherd does. But when do he and his disciples get to take a healthy breather before making another one of those compassionate runs through the crowd? So Jesus and his disciples leave Galilee of the Gentiles, as it is often referred to, despite the sizable Jewish presence still there. And Jesus and his 12 disciples press on even further north from Galilee, deep, deep into Gentile country, Tyre and Sidon. They weren't going to take any chances. They went the extra mile to get a safe distance. And no one's going to intrude on our little getaway this time. So they thought. Then suddenly, out of Tyre, lo and behold, this Gentile woman, Matthew gets specific, a Canaanite woman, bursts on the scene, crying out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. The disciples must have been in shock. What? How? Where did... We just barely got here ourselves. We don't know how this Canaanite woman heard of Jesus or knew where he was going to be. Please notice, not only was this recognition on the woman's part so surprising to the disciples, so quick, and with them all being so far from their base of operations back in Galilee, but equally surprising was this woman's spot-on accuracy in the way she addresses Jesus. This is a Gentile, mind you. She addresses Jesus Uh, In the Greek, which is what language? Koine Greek, common Greek. They would have it in common and would be able to communicate to each other. And so she addresses Jesus as kurios, which means Lord. We would say that she used the word Lord there with a capital L. Idolatrous Gentiles did not address Jesus as Lord with a capital L. They might call him Sir 
if they use the term Lord with a small L. But here this woman means Lord Jesus, as made clear by what comes next out of her mouth. She addresses him as Son of David. Now that is certainly a messianic title. And she actually beats Peter to the punch on that one. By one chapter in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 16, next week, we'll hear Peter exclaim to Jesus, you are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But this woman is not prompted by Jesus asking the question, who do you say that I am, uh, as Jesus will prompt Peter next week. So without that prompting, without any prompting that we know of, this Canaanite woman comes in like a torrential flood. Her cry for mercy, have mercy on me, flows directly from her insight into the true identity of Jesus as God's anointed one. And no doubt, what Jesus tells Peter next week also explains her spot-on accuracy here. Blessed are you, Jesus will tell Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Elsewhere, Jesus reaffirms the source of that epiphany. No one can come to me, says Jesus, unless the Father who has sent me draw him. That's from John. Or draw her, in this case, with the Canaanite woman. The fact that she was a Canaanite woman was a specific detail that Matthew does not want us to miss. Indeed, that fact adds some real depth to the scenario that's laid out before us here. You see, Canaanites, along with Jebusites, Amorites, Kilobites, and Troglodytes, all right, I may have made up those last two names, but the Canaanites et al., for all their evil ways, including fiery sacrifice to the false god Baal, they were supposed to have been completely purged from the land of Canaan, the land God first promised Abraham. It would seem Joshua's conquering campaign as he went into the promised land, uh, when he led Israel's armies into Canaan, it seems he was mostly successful, and more so in some spots as opposed to others. In some places, the Canaanites were subjugated to slavery. So this Canaanite woman crying out to Jesus then had some ancestral servitude or slavery to add to her already denigrated status as a woman of Gentile birth. What I'm saying here is this woman, therefore, culturally speaking, had nothing, no standing, no favor, no pedigree, and without Jesus, no hope for her tormented daughter. And as this scene from Matthew 15 unfolds, this unclean woman seems to have lost even Jesus as her tearful prayers are met with nothing but silence. Jesus is literally giving her the silent treatment, the cold shoulder. Now that's a test, as we shall see, a test for her. And a really important lesson on what is clean for Jesus' disciples to learn. As strange as it seemed, Jesus ignoring this woman was the actual cultural norm for that time and place. Even today, there are some places in the Middle East where fathers will not 
talk to their own daughters when they are out in public together, if you could call it that. Do you remember that well-known conversation that Jesus once had with the so-called Samaritan woman at the well? To that Samaritan woman, out in public, I might add, Jesus actually initiates a conversation by asking for a glass of water. So she was so taken aback, this Samaritan woman, that she ignores his request for water in order to address the camel in the living room, so to speak. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Sound familiar? It's the same thing here in Tyre with the Canaanite woman, except this time, Jesus, at least initially, Jesus is doing everything expected of him by the culture. He is completely ignoring this woman who is begging for help continually. Jesus knows that his disciples are watching also as they now begin to beg Jesus themselves. Send her away, for she's crying out after us. It's kind of annoying, isn't it, everyone? Only then does Jesus open his mouth to speak in response to his disciples. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he says. Now, of course, though spoken to his disciples, this woman overhears this and she takes this opportunity to draw near on her knees with her persistent, simple cry, Lord, help me. And you can almost picture her practically assuming the posture of a begging puppy right before Jesus. Her dogged determination is rekindled now now that finally her Lord and only hope has begun to look upon her with favor. At least her faith believes it is favor and not scorn. Now Jesus answers her directly while still keeping within cultural norms, saying something that he knows his disciples would expect a Jewish rabbi to say to an unclean Gentile woman. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In saying this, Jesus is a little like that no-nonsense coach that uh, perhaps your kids or grandkids have, has experienced. The one who takes pride in his star athlete, knowing that she's got it in her to shine in this very moment. He's like the coach who yells over to the field hands, raise the bar even higher. I know she can clear this height. Raise the bar. Jesus wants to reward this woman's faith and at the same time utilize her exceptional example in faith to teach his disciples a very profound lesson about what is clean versus what is unclean. And here's how far this woman clears the bar when she looks full in, her wonderful, in the wonderful face of her Savior. Her eyes brighten, and she answers him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. At this point, the joy in our Lord's heart for her bursts out with, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And instantly, her daughter was healed. Amazing story. Here's the lesson for our Lord's onlooking disciples now. 
and they don't get it right away, which is kind of par for the course with these 12. And it's the fact that they don't get it is evidenced by the very last portion of Matthew chapter 15, call it Matthew 15c, the feeding of the 4,000. Now, unfortunately, we don't include that incident in our lectionary readings. But what we see there is more of the same. The 12 want to send the crowd away again. Now, this is what they wanted to do with the 5,000. Lord, send the people away, they told him. And in our lesson today, how did they petition the Lord? Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. It's grating on me. They are always, these 12, trying to send people away from Jesus. When the children were coming up to Jesus, the disciples kept trying to send the children away. That one really got the Lord's ire up. There, Jesus rebuked them, saying, Listen, it is to these children who will enter the kingdom of heaven, and if you don't become like one of them, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch! That one had to hurt. Here with this Canaanite woman, what did she have going for her to commend her to God? Nothing. She scores a big zero on the rabbinical morning prayer list, doesn't she? Was she a woman? Check. Was she Goya, a Gentile? Check. Was she a slave by pedigree? Check. So there she knelt before the Lord with nothing going on for her. And that is what ends up actually being her advantage. How clearly she saw Jesus as her Savior and as her only hope. Her hope was built on nothing less, and she knew it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It was her faith alone in Christ alone, according to his riches in grace alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Just one crumb of that, and she'd be satisfied. For one tiny crumb of Christ's holy body is everything. And that's for you today, in Jesus' name. Amen.